Hey, podcast fans. Since you love Why Are You Laughing, that means you enjoy both comedy and history, which is why we think you'll love our show. It's called Midnight Facts for Insomniacs and features weekly deep dives into a variety of topics. It also features us, comedians and lifelong friends Shane Rogers and Duncan McEwen. So whether you're nocturnal, sleep-deprived, or just a fan of laughing and learning, we'll keep you entertained with more than 130 episodes covering everything from astrology to pirates to the history of personality tests. Just search for Midnight Facts in any podcast player to join the Midnight Masses. You know, I'm going to give you a history lesson. We got some dumbass motherfuckers floating around this country. <laughs> start laughing. And when I do, start fucking. Also, y'all did some nasty-ass jokes on my ass, too. Funny jokes and unfunny jokes come out of the same birth. You fucking guys are unbelievable. Why are you laughing? Evening, everybody. Welcome to Why Are You Laughing, a history of comedy podcast. And today, I'm pleased to introduce to you Eddie Murphy's Raw. And uh, if you're new to the program or you've never watched or listened to us do uh, a special, review a special, we've gotten comments in the past before um, asking, is this really an hour and a half video covering a one hour special? And yes, that's exactly what it is. So <laughs> I figured I'd warn everyone this time uh, beforehand. That is 100% what we're doing. Um, although this was a feature film, so it's actually a 90 minute runtime in total, but, um, yeah, that, that was actually the original idea for people that don't know the original idea for why you laughing was kind of doing, uh, just specials. And then I liked the idea more of, I thought there was more to do if we did a topic every week, it made more sense, but every once in a while, I like diving into some of the classics we've done. Um, the day the laughter died, killing them softly. I walked on the moon, a lot of my favorites. Um, and we did Eddie Murphy's Delirious a couple or last year. So I figured, uh, it's about time to do a raw. We will do an Eddie Murphy, uh, full on episode at some point. But as far as, um, percentage goes, you know, the, in my opinion, there are specials I like better than Raw and Delirious. But as far as percentages go, the fact that Eddie Murphy basically did the two biggest specials of all time <laughs> and then left <laughs> is pretty incredible. It's, so it is nuts. And at that age, yeah, yeah, for sure. That's a good point. Yeah. Um, so we'll get into all of that. We'll break it down. But first, I want to remind you guys um, to go to blindmike.net. That's where you can find uh, all of my links. That's me. I'm Blind Mike. And if you want to find anything to do with me, go to blindmike.net. You can find all the free links to the podcast, whether it be Apple, Spotify, YouTube. Um, you can find this podcast, Blind Mike Project, who are these socials uh, that I do with Carl, who was a guest a couple weeks ago. Uh, check all those out. Subscribe to the YouTube. Um, watch live there. I suspect this one will have a hard time getting on YouTube. I imagine, yeah. So uh, if that's the case, if you're used to watching on YouTube, and uh, a lot of it's cut out or all it's not there at all, <laughs> then um, make sure you go to the Patreon. That's where we're able to uh, upload uncensored videos um, as well as uh, bonus episodes. We've got a bunch of bonus episodes up there um, for Why Are You Laughing as well as other stuff that we do with the Blind Mike Project. So uh, check out the Patreon and you get these episodes a week early. Um, there's also something, I have no idea if this is working yet, but I, I agreed to it on the Patreon. Uh, I think you can get a seven day free trial on Patreon now. I think they're allowing that. Um, so if you want to check that out, uh, see what the bonus episodes are and all that, see if it's worth it to you. 
um, then feel free to take advantage of that. And if it's not working, let me know because Patreon's always up to some hijinks. I like I like that they offer that. That's nice. I should get more people. Maybe we'll see. We'll see. Or they uh, just consume everything in the seven days and then they leave. Either or, it, it's up to you, folks. Whatever you want to do. God bless you if you can pull that off. Yes. And uh, all right, so let's dive into it. Go to blindmike.net. And now let's uh, get into it. Eddie Murphy's Raw is uh, was released in 1987. It was filmed um, in, I believe, what they call now the just the Madison Square Garden Theater. It's like the Feld Theater in Madison Square Garden. Um, so you'll hear, like, I, I got fooled into thinking Chris Stefano was playing Madison Square Garden. He's actually playing the theater of Madison Square Garden. Pretty impressive, but not quite, uh, you know, where dice played. Um, but what is impressive about this special is that uh, it was re- released in theaters and grossed $50 million, which to this day is still the, hi- still the highest grossing comedy special of all time. Uh, it passed Richard Pryor's Live at the Sunset Strip. And uh, I was on Box Office Mojo looking at it. And it's interesting because the top like 10 or 11 specials are all African-American comedians. And the next on the list that isn't uh, African-American is Gabriel Iglesias. And I think that only made like $2 million or something like that. Um, So I don't know what it is that some of the greatest, most popular specials of all time are by black comics. And that's not even including things like uh, bigger and blacker and, um, uh, Bring the pain, Chris Rock specials. So I don't know what that is. I'm surprised. I was trying to think of like who could have done, like which white guys could have done it. Like Dice would be the obvious answer. I feel like I'm kind of surprised he didn't because that just feels, you know, you can almost picture people in the theater screaming out the nursery rhymes. Yeah, that is crazy. Actually, I would have yeah. bet a lot of money that he was in there. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I, I, now I don't really know uh, who. I, there are a few guys that could do it. I don't know. I don't see who would do it other than Kevin Hart. Uh, Kevin Hart's actually released three in theaters. Um, but the uh, Kings of Comedy did not, they surpassed Richard Pryor. They did not come close to uh, Eddie Murphy's. The Kings of Comedy grossed $36 million. But their opening weekend was higher. Um, I believe Raw was $9 million the opening weekend. And Kings of Comedy was um, $11 million, I think. So. Uh, shout out to the Kings of Comedy as well. We did an episode about them. Go check it out. Um, but yeah, $50 million. And I think the budget was like $8 million, which is probably, I'm guessing, mostly going to Eddie Murphy, you know? Yeah, I mean, like, I mean, aside I mean, from I, Yes, him. they're using fancy cameras and production and everything, but I can't imagine a special is that expensive to shoot. Definitely not. <laughs> Definitely not. So, so yeah, they made up, they made their budget back on the opening weekend and then it was all, uh, all gravy from there. But, uh, let's get into it now on the, the, because this was, uh, released in theaters, what we're able to clip is not as, um, thorough as, uh, some of the other specials we've done. So like, we don't have the full closer or anything like that, but I think we did get most of it, which I was pleased with. Um, so let's, uh, let's start right at the beginning. I think with the open, yeah, so again, it was in theaters, so they, first of all, to make it a feature film, kind of had to make it a little longer. Um, I usually hate intros to comedy specials. Mm-hmm. I have to say, I think this is probably the best one 
I've ever seen because it kind of, what it is is essentially telling the story of how Eddie Murphy became a comedian. It's very simple. Um, Keenan Ivory Waynes, I believe produced this Samuel L. Jackson is in it, not very prominent, but he is in this scene. Um, and I think the sister in this scene, uh, Tatiana Ali, I believe that's the sister in fresh Prince as well. So star studded open to this special. Uh, so let's see a little bit, uh, basically for context, it's a talent show taking place in the Murphy household when Eddie was a child. I got a joke. Shh. Lil' Eddie got a joke to tell. Go, Eddie. 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 I got a joke to tell. Once there was a lion and a monkey. And the monkey said, I can make the weather change. The lion said, no, you can't. So the monkey started climbing up the tree. And then he started peeing on the lion's head. Now it's raining. Then he started farting. <laughs> now there's thunder. Then he started doodling. <laughs> now it's snowing. So the lion said, oh yeah, well I can make the stars come out. And then he kicked him in the ding ding. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I love that doo-doo line. That boy's got <laughs> talent. So the full thing is obviously a little longer, but I thought that was a great open actually, because it basically illustrates the the birth of a comedian kind of like if you watch the full, um, the full scene, like his sister is singing this beautiful song and everything. And Eddie Murphy just gets up there and he's like, I've got a shit joke for you. Does that work? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, as intros go, I am glad that now specials pretty much just start. <laughs> Yeah. Like they barely even have uh, you know, title credits or anything like that. It pretty much just goes gets gets right down to business cuz even more than 9 out of 10 times I would say uh intros stink. I've never I've rarely been a fan. Yeah, Dice uh, had one basically where it was like a, a like a short film before the comedy special of him trying right. to get like a date or something. I forget what what special it was, but I was not yeah. liking it. It's often the guy trying to be uh, more artistic than he needs to be. Yeah. And it's just exhausting. But Eddie Murphy did a very good job. And again, they kind of had to because it's a feature film as well. So, uh, but now we get into the the comedy. We get into the nitty gritty here. Yeah. This is uh, Mr. T. So, yeah. If you, uh, if you are familiar with Delirious, you know, he did a couple celebrity impressions. And um, Delirious came out in 1983, I believe. So filmed in 82, 83. Um, and Eddie Murphy at that time is just popping on SNL. Now he's a massive star. Now he's had films come out and all sorts of shit. So now he's a big deal and he's had to interact with uh, some of these people. So he's talking about uh, some of the celebrity impressions he did from the first special. 
every now and then I take the joke too far and get in trouble. That's why I haven't been on the road the last three years, because I did a lot of... Did y'all see Delirious? In Delirious, I was making fun out of a lot of entertainers, too. That's when I got scary, because I did some jokes about Mr. T, and Mr. T was going to fuck it up. He was... I was scared, because y'all see Mr. T. He don't look like, you know, like he can't fight. He looks like he can whip some ass, right? And I was petrified. I was walking parties, and people said, yo, man, Mr. T was just here looking for you. <laughs> he was walking up to people saying, I'm going to whip it in the hand when I see him. <laughs> then I watched the show, because I, I didn't know him. I watched the show to see what kind of guy he was, and the character on the show ain't too bright. So I figured if he came up to me, I could use the Jedi mind trick on him. <laughs> Mr. T walk up and go, I heard you did some jokes about me. No, you didn't. Maybe I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go beat up the fool that told me them lies. <laughs> hey, Mr. T is such an easy impression to do, I feel like, but that's still a good one. Like, that's right. better than the average Mr. T, I feel like. <laughs> yeah, he's got he's got his face down, too. Um, I realized while we were playing that, too, I wanted to go back for one second to the intro uh, because I meant to mention, I I wonder if this was purposeful. The, and he kicked him in the ding-ding. <laughs> that punchline remind me so much of uh, in one of Chappelle's latest specials and I kicked her in the pussy where he basically starts with a, a punchline and sees if he can write a joke around that it, even just the delivery of it reminded me of that so much that I wonder if that was like a purposeful homage by Chappelle I never caught it before but just re-watching it now I was like that's very it's and Chappelle you know is obviously uh a student of this stuff. He knows history very well. So I wonder if it's maybe just a complete coincidence. Maybe it got in his mind from watching this and he has no idea that it's in there. Um, but it, it felt purposeful to me uh, rewatching that scene. I bet, I bet it was on purpose. And it just seemed like, right. It was so close to it that it seems like it must've got stuck in his mind somewhere. But, yeah. Um, anyways. Yeah. Yeah. Eddie Murphy, as far as the Mr. T thing goes and uh, he's about to bring up, uh, Michael Jackson as well, but uh, a, a nice thing he, that I've noticed he did in um, Raw and Delirious is that he kind of had like callbacks to different specials, which I feel like back then was probably a lot harder to do. Now comedians have these cult followings, even people much less popular than Eddie Murphy. Um, you know, have have their base, and these people consume their every episode of their podcasts and hear interviews that they do and things like that. So your fans are going to know inside references. Um, you know, in 1987, I feel like that was a lot more difficult. Daddy has a lot of callbacks to his previous special. Now, granted, the first one was so popular that I bet it's a pretty good bet that everyone in that crowd saw it. But it is still a gamble to reference something that was on yeah. HBO four years earlier. Yeah, you know? and he said in the beginning there that he hadn't been on the road in the last three years. So maybe he's just trying to <laughs> just get easy yeah. material possibly. I don't know. Yeah. Right. Um, what's next? The Michael Jackson. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's hear that. I was scared. I'd be at parties here. He was looking for me. I would just leave. Cause I don't want to fight Mr. T. Then I found out Michael Jackson was looking for me. And I was like, yo, when Mike, I found my manager called me up and said, yo man, Michael Jackson is mad. I was like, so, <laughs> you know, cause I fuck Mike up, you know, Mike. Mike don't weigh but a buck oh five, you know. I bust that ass on Mike. 
I was looking for my, but my manager said, you know, we don't know everything about Michael Jackson. He might be this bad motherfucker behind closed doors. He's a recluse, you know, behind closed doors. He might be completely different. And I'd be at a party and have Michael walk up to me one day and be like this. Can I talk to you for a minute? <laughs> yeah, uh, what's your motherfucking problem, man? Well, how come you keep fucking with me then, huh? What's all the motherfucking jokes? You don't like my clothes? What's your motherfucking problem? You know that Michael motherfucking Jackson that will bust your ass? Get the fuck out of my motherfucking ass. I'll moonwalk all up and down your ass, motherfucker. Mind your motherfucking business. I hear some more shit, I'm going to put this glove up your ass. I'll see you later. <laughs> now, uh, to bring up Chappelle again, I wonder if that was inspired by, because Charlie Murphy famously on the Chappelle show tells these uh, Prince stories about playing Prince and basketball and all that, mm-hmm. um, you know, when he was hanging with Eddie back in the day. And the story is essentially like, it's a, a, a fish out of water tale. You wouldn't expect Prince to be behaving the way he was behaving. So at that time, I wonder if he didn't want to use Prince as the example, but that inspired it. You know what I mean? Because again, oh, yeah. that's like a, uh, he's basically describing Michael Jackson in a way that Prince is presented in the Chappelle show sketches. <laughs> I, I, yeah, it's so great. Yeah. I mean, he probably has, you know, because he was, I think he was like his brother's security for a while, Charlie. In, um, Tread that Charlie was Eddie's security? Yeah, I believe, or something like that. So yeah. they just probably have the exact same I like headspace for stories and all this stuff. So you probably just Oh well yeah, no, the story is from hanging out with uh, Eddie Murphy, obviously. But I'm just right. saying as far like the the Michael the description of Michael Jackson, it seems almost like that was birthed from his interaction with uh Prince. I don't know if they're related or not. Yeah, I think the, oh, when I when I interview Chappelle, I'm gonna ask him all these things. <laughs> That'll be Dave, good. Give me the skinny here. What's I'll write, I'll write it down delete. so we, we don't forget here. Let's Thank you. Jot Thank it down. Right. Um, next we got uh, Cosby this is this is one of the great stories ever because Hannibal Burr has basically just finished the job here <laughs> like, <laughs> Eddie, Eddie Murphy yeah. calls out Cosby for something that like at the time people probably didn't really know what he was doing now this story in 1987 was much more digestible than the grim reality of what Bill Cosby was doing. Um, but it is still funny for Eddie Murphy, who at the time is what? 28. Look up his age. I think he's like 28 or something when this came out. Um, but, uh, you know, to have the balls to go at, uh, Cosby at this time is, uh, uh, pretty brave. Do you watch the Bill Cosby show? I do too. I love Bill Cosby's show. I've been a, a big fan of Bill Cosby all my life. Never met the man before, but he called me up about a year ago and chastised me on the phone for being too dirty on stage. And it was real weird because I had never met him. And he just thought it was he should call me up because he was Bill and tell me that he did about what comedy is all about. And I sat and listened to this man chastise me. And when Bill Cosby chastised you, you forget you grown. You feel like one of the Cosby kids and shit. And I ran in the house all excited to talk to Bill and picked up the telephone and Bill got raw on me. I was like, hello, Mr. Cosby? And you hear, I would like to talk to you (laughs) about some of the things that you do in your show. (laughs) 
has Cosby down so well. I wonder how, I wonder if that was an impression that everyone did at that time or if Eddie's the one that kind of broke that because he has the cadence down perfectly. perfectly. Like that is Cosby. He was uh, 26 here. 26. Wow. Jesus. Yep. Yeah. So in uh, Delirious, he was only 21, 22, something like that. That's insane. That's, cr- that's crazy. Yeah. I, I, I'm sure we talked about it. Um, in the delirious episode, but like, uh, I don't even really count Bo Burnham because it's a different. I feel like it's a different art form than stand up. What Bo is doing, like, I think Bo Burnham's a genius, but I don't think it's the same as stand up necessarily. Yeah. Um. So I can't think of another example of someone that was that successful that young, like Freddie Prinz. I guess we don't know what he would have been had he lived. Um, and he wasn't to the level of popularity, like he had a show on NBC, but I don't think he had the, the fan base, uh, for his standup that Eddie Murphy did certainly. Um, you know, as far as fame, maybe Pete Davidson got as famous as young, but not for any of his work, you know? Right. So there's really no one comparable that was this successful, uh, this early into comedy. It's pretty crazy. It is wild. Uh, well, uh, yeah, I guess Chappelle not. Chappelle but, started uh, earlier, but Chappelle started much earlier. But even like killing him softly, he'd already had like failed pilots. But he was already yeah. a home improvement by then. Right, right. Um. So yeah, it, it's it's wild. Basically, uh, like I said, Hannibal Burris, uh, just saw this joke and then included. And this guy is a fucking rapist, and he's telling <laughs> me to pull my pants up. <laughs> Um, uh, there's a little more to this Uh, we're still on the Cosby bit right yeah this one's called filth this is my this is my favorite part um, because Eddie basically uses a um, I think a much better comedian as a shield against Bill Cosby here you cannot say filth flying filth flying filth in front of people and I said I never said no filth flying filth he says, you know what I'm talking about. I can't use the type of language that you use, but you know what I mean when I say filth, flying, 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 filth. And I said, I never said no filth, flying, filth, and I don't know what you're talking about. I'm offended at your call. Fuck you. <laughs> and that's when Bill got pissed and said, that's what I'm talking about. You cannot say fuck. <laughs> He makes him sound like a mental patient. I know. <laughs> <laughs> that accent that he's giving him. And it's not far off from what Cosby actually was. It's just a, a caricature of him almost. But Turned out to be a mental patient. <laughs> you, like, imagine someone talking like that. And it is kind of what Cosby's comedy was. That's why That's why his acceptance speech of that award from, like, a couple years ago is so funny to me. Yeah. yeah. Just nailed it. In front of people. And I got mad. Because he thought that was my whole act. Like, I just walked down on the stage and cursed and left. And I managed to stick in some jokes between the curses. You couldn't give no curse show or walk out and say, Hey, felt for him. Motherfucker, dick pussy snot and shit. Good night. <laughs> Good night. Suck my dick. Bye-bye. Good night. I was pissed off. I was so mad. I called Richard Pryor's house up and said, Yo, Richard, Bill Cosby just called me up and told me I was too dirty. And Richard said, The next time motherfucker called, tell him I said, Suck my dick. <laughs> I don't give a fuck. Whatever the fuck make the people laugh, say that shit. 
I said, do the people laugh when you say what you say? I said, yes. He said, do you get paid? I said, yes. He said, well, tell Bill. I said, have a Coke and a smile and shut the fuck up. <laughs> That's an incredible prior. I had a moment where I thought it was prior. For a second. <laughs> um, but yeah, the Cosby's philosophy on, on comedy and, and culture I mean, obviously, he was, um, I would say, overcompensating maybe for some of the things he was doing. He's just a total monster. <laughs> but, but just if you just take it at face value for, you know, his, his thoughts on comedy, uh, this is where I think Jerry Seinfeld is much smarter than Cosby. I know in the comedian documentary, um, Cosby gets a lot of praise. But this is where I think um, Seinfeld, I would consider more of a true comedian because he can be friends with uh, Chris Rock and Louie, um, like that talking funny special. Mark Normand. Um, that they did. Yeah, Mark He can be friends with these much dirtier comedians. Colin Quinn. Um, these guys that don't fit his genre of comedy necessarily, um, but still respect it. And Nate Bargatze's that same way, where he, Nate's squeaky clean for the most part. Like he, he says the way he says the word sucks in his uh, latest special. And it got flagged for adult content on Amazon. <laughs> it was so out of place. They didn't understand it. <laughs> um, but but Bargazzi's a guy that's friends with like Big Jay Okerson, who's as filthy as can be. So um, guys like that, I have so much more respect for, uh, even excluding the litany of rapes. <laughs> if, you just, if you're strictly talking comedy, uh, guys like that, I have so much more respect for than Cosby. Um Hannah Gadsby was the same way a few years ago where I remember she was basically saying that if you aren't preaching in your comedy, if you don't have a message, I think the example she used was Kevin Hart. Um, she said, Kevin Hart's not a real comedian because he doesn't have a message. And my argument would be, well, like Kevin Hart or not, he's making people laugh, whereas Hannah Gatsby was making people sob. So uh, <laughs> who the truer comedian is, I suppose, is, uh, you know, subjective. But I can't believe someone saw that and was and was like, let's put the comedy special label on this. <laughs> yes. Yeah. No. Well, that's the thing is like, you know, in a, if you want to do a one man or one woman show, do whatever the fuck you want. But right. to call it comedy is a little weird. It is a stretch for sure. <laughs> Anyways, let's get back on track here. Yeah, next we have uh, Emulating Pryor. Um, okay. <laughs> Richard, Richard is the rawest motherfucker in show because Richard's the one that made me want to do comedy. When I was That's little, I wanted I to be started. Richard Pryor so bad, I used to read, listen to Sneak in the Memory, Sneak in the Basement, put his albums on and just listen. Your mother ain't supposed to hear it, so you listen. <laughs> listening to shit and I turned I was I wanted to be Richard so bad I used to go out on stage when I was 15 and talk and act and walk and do everything like Richard Pryor my mother would sit there and watch her little 15 year old son on stage saying some outlandish shit my whole act back then was about taking the shit cause that's all I had done at 15 <laughs> that was my life experience but it sounded like Richard Pryor jokes I'd be going you ever like sometime right you get on that toilet and when you shit that water splash up on your ass <laughs> don't that make you mad right you know what really make me mad it when shit come halfway out your ass, then go back up in that motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because now every podcast that talks about comedy, including this one, has mentioned 10 million times the idea that um, great comics and great voices in comedy have um, imitators or people that they've inspired that you can clearly hear their voice. Um, but this is, you know, more than 20 years before comedy was being dissected as much as it is now. 
And uh, so I guess what I'm saying is it's more of like a mainstream audience watching Eddie. So for him to even bring up the fact that he was copying prior uh, is pretty interesting. That's like inside comedy that I feel like a lot of guys might not even have the confidence to do because when you're playing to crowds at that level, you might worry that they're like, what the fuck is he talking? Wait, did he steal from prior? What does he mean? (laughs) I forget. uh, I forget which podcast I was listening to that he was on, but he was um, the open story basically is exactly what happened, except he was doing prior bits, not just like uh um, like shit bit or whatever. He, yeah, yeah, he'd yeah. Watch, he would watch prior special and then do it in front of his family. And they thought it was funny. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that's, that's how a lot of comedians start. I feel like it's true of radio as well. Like any radio hosts or podcasters that I liked were diehard fans of great radio personalities and listened a lot to how they do it. Like look at how many people in pop. Sorry about that, folks. Technical difficulties. We got cut off. So I don't know uh, where I left off exactly, but basically I was saying um, that you can tell uh, that Eddie like, grew up watching comedy and everything. And you can, I feel like you can tell comics um, that were influenced by other comedians because I think there is something to be learned from watching a lot of stand-up. And uh, the comparison I was making was that in podcasting, you can tell guys that grew up listening to like Howard Stern and Opie and Anthony um, because they were kind of a student of that type of radio. And that's not to say they copied it. They like heard what worked and what didn't. And I think advanced it. And I think there's something to be said for that. And I think you can definitely tell voices in comedy, um, that weren't necessarily comedy fans, um, because it doesn't have the same feel. They don't get what that world is. And I think Eddie definitely did at this time. Yep. Exactly. Podcasting is a perfect example with ONA, for sure. Yeah. yeah. And I, I had a lot more genius thoughts in there that got cut off, so I apologize, folks. You're missing out on uh, my brilliance. I had some hot takes. <laughs> uh, next, we have uh, translation. Uh, oh, okay. All right. This is where uh, I think he's getting into some uh, some accents that probably wouldn't fly today, but that's all right. What does that chunk want? My act, my mother sit there shocked. Now, if you don't speak English, you can't hear that bit. If you, all you hear is shit, ass, and shit, shit. See, I got a lot of foreigners that come over. I got a lot of people from other countries that see my films that come over to the United States because New York is like a tourist place, and they get HBO, and they catch delirious, and they can't speak English, and try to do my act on the street, and all they got is the curses. I got foreigners from all over the world walking up going, Eddie Murphy, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> The face is so... Fuck you, Eddie! (laughs) I know you! I see you on television! You're the fuck you man, right? (laughs) I love it! Suck my dick, huh? (laughs) Suck it, you black motherfucker! (laughs) (laughs) I like that because, A, it's something people at Eddie's uh, level are obviously dealing with constantly, and the classic example would be um, you know, someone like uh, JJ Walker who had to hear dynamite everywhere he went for 40 years. Oh, yeah. Um, so it's something that uh, he was definitely dealing with at that time. But also, what I think is interesting is uh, he is able to use his experience. This is something I've uh, debated in my own mind, and a lot of people have debated because when Eddie got that deal with Netflix, that I don't, it's probably never going to come to fruition at this point. I think COVID might've derailed it. Um, 
but there was talk of Eddie having a deal with Netflix to come back and do stand-up specials. Um, and the debate was like, can he do it after all this time off? Um, and my original take was like, no, because I don't think he's lived a real human being's life in at least 30 years. You know, he hasn't had any relatable experiences in the last 30 years. But as you see in that clip, there is something to Eddie's, you know, brilliance that was able to adapt um, things that we can't relate to in a relatable way, if that makes sense. Like describe things that he has to deal with as a famous person, um, but in a way that everyone can understand. So may I, who knows? I, I wonder about that, like, and I'm sure we talked about it the last time as well. Mm-hmm it would be so difficult to come back after 35 years of not doing stand up at this point um, to try and do that now. And it, it, you know, the debate everyone had is like, Oh, well, would he, would he even be even be able to work stuff out? Like, would he be able to get on stage? Cause everyone's going to laugh just because they're seeing Eddie Murphy. Everyone's going to be excited that they're there to see a big name. Um, so will he know if the laughs are genuine? And to me, that's not even as much of a concern as, like, would he be able to be relatable? Uh, because when, now when you hear Eddie Murphy speak, he seems so docile and quiet. But maybe that's how he was always, and this was his persona on stage. He was just able to um, tap into this when he was on stage, but he was always, you know, kind of a quiet, soft-spoken guy off stage. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm putting, I'm cementing my, my place, and he'll definitely be fine. Yeah, I do. I really don't think you would, but I'd like to see it just to see if he could do it. I think you will. I think you will. He'll surprise you, Mike. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> the greatest ever might surprise you and be good. <laughs> Eddie, a tip of the cap. You've earned a salute from the general. <laughs> uh, this next one's uh, VD. Uh, oh, yeah. Okay. Well, this is, I, I think we'll kind of get back to um, some of this topic. There's something. Uh, that I saved. It's out of order. I saved it for last. We're uh, quote revisiting a certain subject from the last special. Yep. Uh, but this is more. This goes in a sort of different direction. Talking about uh, obviously venereal disease. Got to be careful. They say having casual sex nowadays is like playing Russian roulette. And I know I've thrown my dick on the crap table many a night. Looking for Miss Wright. You be gambling every time you do it. You gambling with your dick, saying, come on, I need a woman with a mind. I need the perfect person. Come on, now, give it to me. I need somebody perfect for me. Come on, give it to me now. Oh, shit. Fat buck tooth, bitch. No, give my dick back. No. No, give my dick back. I'm going to keep rolling. I got one more roll in me. Come on, here. I want the perfect woman now. Come on, now. I want somebody with a mind, intelligence, a nice ass, and a body. Give it to me now. Oh, skinny cock-eyed bitch. No, give my dick back. Give my dick back. Come on now. No, listen, be quiet. I'm going to keep rolling. I know I just stopped. This is my last roll. Come on now. This is the last one. This is one. This is one for me. Come on, Miss Wright. Miss Wright. Hey, blow on this for luck, please. This is my last roll. Come on now. Here we go. Come on. Give it to me now. Oh, shit. Herpes. I crapped out. My dick is fucked up. My dick is rolling. <laughs> the old comedy rule of three there is what you're seeing, folks. Yes. Um, and th- now we, we start to get into what I think is a pretty interesting formula that Eddie had in these two specials where at the beginning, he's kind of uh, rapid fire is probably too extreme, but like right out of the gate, he's doing uh, he does Mr. T Michael Jackson, Cosby prior. He does all these impressions and then he kind of settles into a groove where he stays on essentially one topic for a long time. Like he segues this into talking about um, women and relationships 
for a good chunk of the special. So it's an interesting formula, um, especially again for a guy in his twenties to be able to kind of come up with that. And who knows, like, this is the weird thing about dissecting uh, art like this is often the dissectors in this case, me will look for things that never even existed. I'm like, Oh, here's the brilliance of Eddie is that he, you know, he lulled us in with his impressions, rapid fire. And then he brings up his, this long, whereas in reality, he might just be a kid that didn't know what the fuck he was doing. <laughs> and it just happened to come out the same twice, you know, it just happened to be perfect. <laughs> yeah. But if, if that was intentional, that's interesting for a kid again, that young, uh, much like Bo Burnham to have, uh, kind of the the thought process of being that that formulaic and well thought out. Um, it's pretty impressive. And uh, next we have Carson. Uh, yeah, well, I mean Johnny famously had a few divorces. We touched on that in the past, and uh, he he ins- he inspired Eddie in a way. This she was so fine. She's one of the people that's so fine. When you see them, they make you ugly. You be like, God. Damn, who did that motherfucker She was fine. I went, I cut all my girls off. I said, that's it. I'm getting married. This is it. Gonna be me and her. I was so happy. And I went out and I went shopping. And I was waiting on a line. And I saw the Inquirer magazine while I was waiting on a line. And I saw Johnny Carson on the front page. It was a picture of him like this. <laughs> then I said, what's up with Johnny? I turned to the inside story. And his wife was on the other page. And she was like this. <laughs> And overhead it said, Johnny's wife wants half Johnny's money. And I turned that shit back to Johnny. <laughs> then I start thinking about it. Half. If you, if you have $5 and have to give somebody $250, you would be upset. Johnny had to have at least $300 million <laughs> and have to give up $150 million? And they weren't even married but 10 years? And $150 million? Uh, get, uh, give me a fucking break. What? What? <laughs> what? <laughs> He's flabbergasted. <laughs> I, love, I don't know why I love people bringing up Johnny's divorces. I think it's so funny. <laughs> I don't know why. Just because Johnny was always like, you could tell he didn't mind jokes about it, but was also uncomfortable with it a little bit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think this is, uh, this next one's continuing on this? Yeah, I believe so. He got married, broke up, shit didn't work out, and then she had to get, he had to give $150 million of his money. And don't get me wrong, ladies, I know a lot of housewives sitting out there going, well, you can't put a price on what I do. But ladies, if you marry a man with $300 million, you ain't no regular housewife. You ain't got to clean the house no more. You get a maid. You ain't cleaning shit. You marry a man with $300 million, you ain't cooking no more. You eating out. You marry a man with $300 million, you know how a lot of housewives got to get jobs on the side to help make ends meet? He got three hundred million. The ends of meeting like a motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> what you gonna do? Get a job at a boutique on the weekends and shit? Say like, here, Johnny. I made seventy dollars. Put that with the rest. <laughs> <laughs> now we have three hundred million and seventy dollars. <laughs> Cause I want to do my share. <laughs> Put that with the rest. It's so funny. <laughs> and there's a little, uh, you hear a little Chris Rock in there because the example I always use is um, uh, Chris Rock saying, When you're white, the sky's the limit. When you're black, the limit's the sky. <laughs> and then I said that Joe, Joe List famously asked him about that, and he's like, It doesn't mean anything. <laughs> 
and they're saying like the ends are mean like a motherfucker. It doesn't mean anything. It's just fun. Like you know what he's saying, but and it just sounds funny. Yeah, so, there's no ends to be met. That's good. He's, <laughs> uh, <laughs> it, it's wild that everyone has pretty much agreed that's an insane law or rule or whatever it is. The idea that Johnny would have to give up half his money, you know, as far back as the eighties, people have been saying that about celebrity divorces. And it's just still the same. There's like no one doing anything. But it's like, yeah, that's how it is, I guess. That's why Johnny Depp was an anomaly that he won that case. <laughs> a blow for men. <laughs> Everyone was like, thank you, Johnny. <laughs> uh, this one is called Bush Women. <laughs> <laughs> this is uh, this is actually when I uh, referenced uh, accents that uh, may not fly now. This is kind of what I was referencing. Of course, Eddie Murphy would probably get away with it, but uh, some people might not. Because I ain't getting caught. I refuse to get caught out there. I fuck that. And I'm bring her home and lock her up in the house. You go off to Africa and get you a bush woman, you can't let her mingle with American women because they'll change that shit up. American women stick together. Last thing they want to see is you got some trained bush bitch in your house. They will catch her by herself in the kitchen and throw a monkey wrench in your whole program. Soon as they get alone, they'll be like, I can't stand it. We'll be running behind him doing everything he tell you to do. Who do you think he is? You, you ain't no God. You a human being. You ain't supposed to treat nobody. This house is too big for one person to be cleaning up. Why don't you leave? You, you always cry. Why don't you just leave a nigga? Oh, you know something, girl. Do you know you can take half his money? Did you know you can take half his money? <laughs> Did you know that? Did you know you entitled? You, he didn't tell you entitled half? Oh, he only told you half the story then, girl. You can take half the money, the car, the house, the children, all the money he got. You can buy all the zebras and bones you want. Go back home and style, girl. You don't have to put up with this shit and get your hair done right. Cut that big afro shit off and go back home to Africa and style. Who the hell do you think he is? Let me tell you something else about Eddie Murphy. That motherfucker ain't nothing but a mother. Oh, hi, Eddie. How you doing? <laughs> Oh, I didn't know you was here. You scared me. Ooh, I don't know. I, I can't stay. I was just talking to Oom Fufu about a couple of things. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the evolution of that bit, what, what that bit reminded me of was a lot of uh, Bill Burr's talking about adopting a boy soldier. He <laughs> wanted to adopt a kid from a war-torn country or something like that. It's, a, it's a, again, like it, not a, not a copy of that pick, but, but an evolution, like uh, just a different version kind of reminded me of that a lot. Mm. Uh, same topic. Uh, but this one's called loyal men. Yeah. Like, like I said, this is um, Eddie, you settled into this topic. You could tell he may have had some, uh, pent up resentment at this time for women or something because he, he lingered on this topic for a while. Let me hear, let me hear the women clap to have men that are loyal to them. Truthfully. Yeah, see y'all some disillusioned ladies clapping right now. <laughs> and let me hear the men clap. Let me hear the men clap that are loyal to their women. Stop. You lying motherfuckers, stop. Stop, stop, stop. You kiss my ass. <laughs> Fuck, I ain't no such thing as a loyal man. You lying motherfuckers, stop. <laughs> and the only reason you're clapping is because your woman sitting next to you right now when I ask. It's getting everyone in trouble. When I asked the question, <laughs> she looked at you like this. <laughs> <laughs> You gonna put your hands together? <laughs> you better stomp your feet and light a match for this pussy, goddammit. <laughs> Stand up and clap. Stand your ass up and clap. <laughs> She's number one. 
I love his choice of phrasing a lot more than I thought I would. Like a big thing um, that I, the reason I like guys like Gary Goleman is because I think the way they phrase things is so beautiful. Like the language that he chooses. Oh yeah. And uh, I never really realized how much I would like that about Eddie. Like I just, I didn't grow up. Um, I, I grew up in an era where I knew Eddie Murphy as Dr. Doolittle and the Nutty Professor. <laughs> so, so I wasn't watching Raw or Delirious when I was a kid. So I didn't know I would like his stand-up as much as I did, but just his phrasing of things like, you're going to put your hands together? <laughs> and it's so much, for whatever reason, that is so much funnier than saying, are you going to clap? <laughs> like, just his, his like, guys that have the ability to uh, pick apart f- certain phrases like that, um, I, I really enjoy you know how um like Bill Burr when he does like the female impression it kind of is based off his wife now. Sure, yeah, in a in a way. Yeah, so like it's a stretch, but I'm curious where the inspiration for this female that he always does came from because he did it in both specials. <laughs> right. right. Well, that that's another interesting thing because I keep going back to his age. At 26, it's interesting. Um, obviously I'm sure he's had a lot of experience with women at this point, but like, I wonder how much a 26 year old Eddie Murphy, <laughs> a 26 year old, very famous Eddie Murphy. I wonder how many like long-term relationships he was in. You know what I mean? So I want, it is an interesting question to know what he was drawing from at this point. Mm. I, I want to know a little bit. I, he doesn't do like much. And it's annoying because I just want to know so many things. Oh, write it down for the Eddie Murphy. After yeah, we have Eddie Murphy. Know, we'll get yep. Eddie on. Yep. Where do you, uh, what inspires you, Eddie? <laughs> where, do you, where do you get your ideas from? <laughs> well, you know what? We haven't mentioned Norm in a few weeks at this point. So this is my chance to have a ham-handed um, Adam Egot segment when <laughs> Norm would make him ask guests. So where do you get your ideas from? <laughs> Super Dave Osborne would just stare at him blankly. <laughs> ah, he was the best too. He was the best on those. But uh, this one is uh, Italians. Now, this is uh, Eddie was ahead of his time in this way, because now the only group you're allowed to go after is pretty much Italians and like the Irish, I guess you can probably Mm. make fun of. Right. right. So uh, Eddie knew that back then. I was in the club, man. I I stopped. I ain't dancing a lot because I just had a fight recently and I said I ain't dancing. I went to clubs. You get in the lot. People get drunk, go to club and stuff. I had a fight with an Italian dude right after around time. Rocky came out. <laughs> Italian white people, period. Y'all go crazy after y'all see a Rocky movie because y'all believe that shit. Because the movies are so emotional and so real. You sit there and go like, hey, this is real. Yeah, and Stallone have y'all white people pumped, especially Italians. After Italians see Rocky, they come out the movie theater, they be like, Italians are funny people because they act like niggas. It's real funny. <laughs> they do. <laughs> they hold their dick more than us to be standing around with it. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> right here, all right? What? Hey, fuck you, all right? Everything is a question, too. Hey, what am I, an asshole? <laughs> what am I, fucking jerk? Get the fuck out of here. It's right here, all right? <laughs> the walk is funny. <laughs> I feel like now because of things like the Jersey shore and like a little bit of the Sopranos, it's become such a stereotype. Like what he's describing there has become such a stereotype of Italians. Like every, that's how 
you know, a, a, a million people have described Italians. But I feel like back then, before that kind of uh, wall was broken, uh, it is a much more original thought because I feel like the easy racist jokes at that time would be like Hispanic and black, I guess. I feel like it, it, it's strange to say it's kind of a nice genre of racism that he came up with there. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he broke down barriers. He started going after Italians yeah. at a time where they had it easy. <laughs> genre of oh, which reminds me, these, uh, these Ginzos reminded me that <laughs> um, Eddie Murphy broke the record for use of the word fuck in um, a feature film. Um, I think it was like 220 something times in an hour and a half special. He used the F word and uh, it was beaten by Goodfellas a few years later. So uh, good company. He's in there, <laughs> but Goodfellas had like three hours to do it. It's pretty impressive that Eddie did it an hour and a half. Eddie Murphy and Goodfellas. <laughs> <laughs> uh, next uh, Rocky. Oh, oh yeah. This is, this is uh, more on these dumb Italians. <laughs> Go up to people standing on line and shit. Hey, Paisan, you going into She Rocky right now? Yeah. Great fucking movie. <laughs> Great. You don't like this way. He comes out, Sly comes out, he breaks this big fucking nigga's face. He busts it fucking wide open. Fucking moon and y'all laying on the floor, fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> Great. I fucking love it, man. All right, Hey, you know something? At the end of this picture now, just between you and I, I don't want to ruin the surprise, but Sly wins this one again. You know something? You know what I like about Stallone's movies? The realism, you know? Because, you know, that's the way you got to fucking treat those fucking moolies. They think that they can fucking push you around. It's your big hot shot. Get the fuck out of here. Get the fuck out of my face with that shit. That's what I like about Sly. He goes in and the moolies are beating him and he fucking, he don't fucking go down. He's not fucking going down. He comes in, he cracks the fucking moolies hole like this. He falls on the ground. That's what I like. You know something? You can really do that. You can really fucking do that. You see that fucking big moolie you stand over there? You see that black guy over there at the line getting some candy? Yeah, you're right. Now, he's about 6'5". I'm 5'2". <laughs> I ain't no big guy, right? But I'm Italian. Watch this. You watch this, all right? <laughs> hey, excuse me, brother. Hey, let me have a box of juicy fruits and uh, let me have some bonbons. I think I have some bonbons there. And uh, let me have some uh, junior mints and uh, give me another box of juicy fruits and uh, the niggas are going to pay for it. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> you heard what I said, Mooley? Pay for my fucking candy. <laughs> or I'll kick your ass. <laughs> oh, you just and... saw Rocky. <laughs> Look, little Italian white man. <laughs> I enjoy Sylvester Stallone's movies too, but I'm getting waiting here to get some candy. I'm gonna go see a movie with my friend. Why don't you just go hop in your Iraq Z28 and take your ass home? <laughs> I'll kick your fucking ass. Didn't they hear that Rocky music? Hour later. Woo 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 woo. He's not gonna make it. 
The big nigger named Abdullah's hand wrapped around his throat. <laughs> <laughs> and a box of juji fruits rammed up his ass. He's not going to make it. <laughs> He's fucked up. Uh, a few a few things there. First of all, as uh, someone who has been around some older, ignorant Italians in his life, he pretty much nails it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> He's got he's got the stereotype down at least for sure. He sure does. <laughs> but um and you know I think it does going to show you how um because that holds up now because it's Eddie Murphy doing it rather than someone else. Um I think it does show you how funny it is to make fun of stereotypes sometimes. Like it's kind of a shame we've lost the that that ability, like the nuance to understand that we are general generalizing sometimes. Mm. Um, but he does such a brilliant job of picking apart a stereotype that I don't know at that time it had been fully formed. You know what I mean? Because again, this is a few years before Goodfellas, and I feel like a lot of what that Italian stereotype is based on is Goodfellas and The Sopranos and Jersey Shore and things like that. Whereas Eddie was doing it kind of before that was uh, as much of a trend as it is now, anyways. The <laughs> um, other thing I found interesting, right at the very end there, he does uh, a white guy voice that he breaks out a couple of times. Mm. And um, it, it, again, to reference Chappelle. I was going to say that is... It reminds biggest. me of the Chappelle voice, but what I the one thing I give Chappelle credit for, as a white man myself, I appreciate that he did this. He's the only black guy. Like, if you listen to uh, Eddie or Damon Wayans or any of these guys, they always go higher. It's always a, hey, how you doing? Mm-hmm. Dave is the only one that went lower. Uh, Dave, I'm going to race him. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. So credit to Chappelle for that, at least. <laughs> uh, um, next is revisiting something. Okay, yeah. So, like I said, we don't have the closer. Um, his closing bit is a, a 10-minute bit. I didn't even know, like, where to cut it necessarily. And the very end is cut off on um, everywhere I found it, which was a little annoying. Um, so I don't have it, but it is a callback to uh, Delirious, where he's talking about his drunk stepfather again. And he, he basically talks about the, a fight that uh, he got in and uh, having to call home, call his parents and his stepfather in the background and just the, the horse shit that was spewing out of his mouth. And again, it's interesting to close on um, a bit that is like kind of paying homage to the first Special just because, like, in a way, I mean, I'm, it stands up on its, own, on its own, but in a way it is having the confidence that, like, okay, everyone that saw this definitely saw my first one as well, which is uh, kind of a gamble in a sense. Um, in the same way that, like, you know, Patrice O'Neill was relying on the fact that everyone in the audience knew who Natalie Holloway was and no one knew the name of that other girl. Right. Uh, I feel like it's a, not, not a one-to-one comparison, but it is a similar type of confidence, I feel like. Definitely. So yeah, you have to like be said, you have to be pretty confident to wear a leather getup like this to be. Completely <laughs> yeah. So uh, it it's funny you mentioned that. Amy Schumer did famously did uh, something called the leather special, mm-hmm. where she wore leather. I guess kind of as a joke because like that's what comedians do. Mm-hmm. Was it that? I feel like other than Eddie Murphy and Chris Rock, I can't think of a lot of guys doing that. Was that that prominent back then? I'm sure, but I wonder if she's. I know. I know everyone comes out in a leather jacket at least once. 
Is that right? Yeah, maybe I just maybe I've never noticed because I can't see anything. But yeah, <laughs> those are the only two that stand out to me. So maybe I'm wrong. Well, those are the best ones. Um. So yeah, we are. We are. Uh, there is a track that I can't say the name of from the from uh, Delirious. If you want to hear it, go to verygoodshow.org. <laughs> yes, and there is a there's a track with that word revisited on on uh, on this special. Um, so we'll play a little bit about that and then we'll talk about the, uh, controversy that followed it. Stop. Now see, I did jokes about, you can, I did die jokes about homosexuals about a couple years ago and faggots were mad. They were like, and they were, it's nothing like having a nation of fags looking for you. <laughs> I'd be at parties. There's always two or three homosexuals at a party and they'd be standing around looking at you. They'd be looking at everything. <laughs> He's an asshole. <laughs> I can't travel the country freely no more. I can't go to San Francisco. They got a 24-hour homo watch waiting for me in the airport. As soon as I got off the plane, they'd be like, he's here, yes, yes, it's, it's him, yes, it's him. And the cars will come rushing across town, be woo, 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 woo. And it won't be no siren, it'll be a real fag sitting on the roof going, woo, 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 woo. Pull over. Pull over. I'm going to read him his rights. You have the right to remain silent. Anything you say can and will be here to get you in the court of law. You have the right to an attorney. Now turn around, I'm going to frisk you. Are you carrying any concealed weapons? Are you carrying... What is this? What is this? Lay down on the floor and spread it. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> Cracks himself up. <laughs> it's it, it's wild to me that two of the most famous specials um, of all time have tracks on them with that word and then that word revisited. <laughs> it's hilarious how poorly it holds up. But um, so my my argument uh, with these tracks that have caused controversy years later <laughs> would be that um, particularly if you're looking through the scope of the 1980s, um, it's in possible to say that the bit he does about Italians is allowable and funny and that bit isn't. It's crazy to me to say that you can do one and not the other. You can offend this group of people and you can't offend that group of people. It's weird to make that delineation and, and draw that line in my mind. Um, so years later, uh, when Eddie Murphy was hosting SNL, he was obviously asked about these bits and uh, he kind of pseudo-apologized for them. But what we learned in uh, doing the Delirious episode, we talked about this, that in 1996, Eddie um, issued sort of an apology. Now, to be fair, part of this might have been the type of movies he was in. Um, you know, Nutty Professor and Dr. Doolittle and soon-to-be Shrek and all of that. Um, like he was go going the way of children's films. So maybe he felt like he had to do that. But what I took from it was, oh, he's not being forced to apologize in 2019. This is actually how he, if he did it in 1996, that is actually kind of how he was thinking. Like maybe he regrets uh, doing those bits, which that's what happens. And uh, I thought Bo Burnham to mention him again. I know I keep mentioning the same six names, but it applies. Um, 
Bo Burnham in his special Inside is a song called Problematic, where he kind of um, references some of his more uh, problematic bits or uh, language that he used in prior specials and prior videos. Um, in the Inside Outtakes that's on YouTube, um, the outtakes from that special, he has a, a bit where, or not not a bit, he has um, like a basically a monologue where he's actually apologizing. It's not just a song. It's him talking and, and kind of describing why he feels bad about those bits. And I was always glad that he got rid of that from the main special because in my mind, it's much more artistic and interesting um, and nuanced to do it the way he did it in the original version than to just come out and be like, Oh, don't I suck? You know, I don't think you have to be that blatant about it. Um, So like when I hear Eddie, you know, discussing this in 1996, I think like, Oh, maybe his mindset is more nuanced than we realized. And it wasn't just him feeling pressure and just, you know, knee jerk apologizing. And I think we have a clip here from a YouTube channel that I've referenced before, uh, Comedy Hype News, that kind of puts that into perspective. This is a a different quote um, that I was referring to. Some of it I cringe when I watch it. That's not to say I don't appreciate it. I appreciate it. And I'm looking at it in the context of the time. I'm a kid saying that. And when asked about regrets, Murphy would respond, none whatsoever. Nah. In the interview, he would further discuss making a stance at the Oscars and his big comeback. Now, this recent statement appears to be on a slightly different note than his previous apology in 1996, in which he would publicly apologize for his jokes on AIDS and homosexuality. I deeply regret any pain all this has caused, just like the rest of the world. I'm more educated about AIDS in 1996 than I was in 1981. I think it is unfair to take the words of a misinformed 21-year-old and apply them to an informed 35-year-old man. I know how serious an issue AIDS is the world over. I know that AIDS isn't funny. It's 1996, and I'm a lot smarter about AIDS now. And... Again, I keep making the Burnham comparison because they were both so successful so young. And basically what Bo Burnham says in that, in his apology, um, for using the same word, by the way, uh, is that, like, yeah, I wouldn't do that now. And I kind of regret and am embarrassed that I did that. But I was 16, first of all. <laughs> I thought it was funny at the time and I wouldn't be the guy I am now if I didn't do that stuff. And I think that's true of Eddie Murphy too, where like, um, and I think we are kind of getting to that point where there is a little, a little more nuance to things. And uh, I think we're under, starting to understand that like um, it does take Eddie Murphy being that guy that he was in 1981 or 1982 and 1987 to become what he you know later became. Like it's an evolution. It's just being a human being, essentially. Hmm. He's an interesting guy. He certainly is. Yes. Yeah. Well, like he's he's gotten to his own share. He's he's delved into the uh, LGBT world himself. So allegedly, maybe we'll get into, maybe we'll get into that. In uh, we'll do a full Eddie Murphy episode. But like I said, these are two of the greatest specials of all time, by all accounts. Um, they've inspired so many comedians and influenced so many comedians into getting into comedy. 
um, and and just shape their act. Like I said, I know I reference Chappelle a lot in this one. I do think of Chappelle as a different. Um, I don't think of him as from the same school as Richard Pryor and Eddie Murphy, even though there's some obvious influence there, like like we referenced. Um, I think the trajectory pretty clearly is like we talked about with Red Fox. It seems like Red Fox, Richard Pryor, Eddie Murphy, Chris Rock is the pretty clear, you know, ancestry <laughs> of that type of guy. And mm-hmm. I think Chappelle kind of, and, and Louis C.K. fall into the George Carlin camp. Yeah, I was going to say that are like Hicks. Yeah, there's def- there's a little bit of Hicks in there, too, for sure. Um but yeah, I think those guys definitely, you can see like a lot of Chris Rock and Eddie Murphy and a lot of Eddie Murphy and Richard Pryor and a lot of Pryor in uh, Red Fox. Um, so yeah, eventually we'll do a full Eddie Murphy episode, but I hope you guys enjoyed this. I hope we did raw justice. Like I said, there's some bit, there's some that probably won't even make this version because of uh, YouTube, but there's some like we definitely couldn't have, unfortunately. Um so, you know, maybe we'll uh, maybe we'll include them in a future Patreon episode if I can figure out uh, a way to do that. But I think we pretty much covered all of it uh, or most of it as far as Eddie Murphy's Raw goes. So I hope you guys enjoyed it. And uh, if you want more bonus episodes in the future, then um, make sure you go to blindmike.net. That's where you can find our Patreon. Um, merch is up there as well. Uh, I believe it only takes... Uh, roughly six and a half years to get to you. So mm-hmm. that's good. Mm-hmm. Uh, check out our merch and uh, check out all the free links as well. If you'd rather just support the show that way, totally understand. It's a tough economy out there. So we get it. Um, Apple, Spotify, Google play. You can uh, leave us five star reviews at those places. Subscribe to the YouTube channel, you know, like, and comment and uh, all that good stuff that helps the algorithm. Um, and then if you like us enough, eventually subscribe to the Patreon blindmike.net is where you can do all that. Uh, as Craig mentioned earlier, you can go to verygoodshow.org. If you like shock jockery and um, edge lords, you know, like we heard Eddie Murphy do some edgy material. And if you want to hear some guys that haven't lost that passion, <laughs> to, uh, <laughs> you know, if you want to hear guys that really yeah. enjoy uh, keeping up the tradition of berating homosexuals, <laughs> then, <laughs> then go to verygoodshow.org. Um, uh. As, uh, as Craig says, check out the free podcast and then subscribe to the Patreon if you if you like it. Yes, please do it. We're cheap. We're cheap. Come on. Yes. So uh, check out all that. Support the boys. And uh, we appreciate you. And we'll talk to you guys next time on Why Are You Laughing? Why are you laughing?